We come to the end of our season of Epiphany today. And Epiphany is one of those seasons that varies in length. It's not like the 12 days of Christmas. It depends, of course, upon when Easter falls. And this year, Easter comes a little early. So there could have been a full three more weeks of Epiphany. But regardless of when this season ends, we always finish it up with the story of the Transfiguration. You'll notice that uh, the title of this Sunday is The Last Sunday After the Epiphany. We stop counting the weeks because of that movable date. That's a little trivia for you. But uh, Transfiguration is interesting because it is a, an event that is commemorated twice in the church year. It's very unusual. It always ends the season of Epiphany, but it also has its own commemoration day, sort of a standalone, in August. So I remember in seminary when I was at the Church of the Transfiguration, we had sort of festivities around two times a year with this reading. Why do we have this reading ending every single year of the Epiphany season. We know we have a three-year cycle of, of readings, and so we do get variety from year to year, but every year we get the story of the Transfiguration. Well, you know, I, I come from uh, New Orleans, and I'm looking forward this morning to our, our Mardi Gras-themed breakfast. We, last night we were um, decorating the hall and listening to music, and I got a little bit homesick as we were uh, sharing some stories and memories about that wonderful place. Th- that is a place that sort of lives out this cycle in a way that a lot of other places don't. And what I mean by that is that, uh, of course, Christmas comes there just like it comes everywhere else. But on uh, the 6th of January, on Epiphany, that's when things start to build. It starts out slowly at first, but then the tempo and the excitement build uh, up to the week just prior to to, uh, Mardi Gras, when all the festivities really start to to play out. We had uh, parades and uh, bands in the streets, lots of people coming to town to partake of of the joy. And a town that is normally like many other towns in, in, in many respects, most of the year suddenly and completely changes itself. Suddenly uh, is completely different from the way it is most of the time. And I think that somewhat mirrors the story that we have today, and I'll, and I'll get back to it in just a minute, but Peter takes, uh, Jesus takes Peter and James and John up the mountain up a high mountain, and is transfigured before them. Now, we don't know exactly what that means. It's an interesting word. It's sort of evocative, but we know in a different account of this that his visage changes in some way. We don't know how exactly. We know that his clothes become dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. But other than those scant descriptions, we don't know exactly what happened to Jesus on the mountain. Nevertheless, it was a moment in which three humans were able to get a glimpse of the divine. During the Epiphany season, we go from 
what is the darkest time of year, right around Christmas time, you know, is the, uh, it's not the, the uh, solstice, thank you. I want to say the eclipse, but that was the wrong word. The solstice, when we have uh, the shortest day of the year, and slowly, day by day, we add a few minutes of light. And you can't really tell today, but I've been noticing, uh, getting up in the morning, on, especially on Sunday mornings, that it's, it's light out now, which is wonderful. And the light increases and increases, but it does so gradually. Similarly, in the season of Epiphany, we think about the light of Christ coming into the world and revealing itself bit by bit to ever more and more people, to wider and wider circles. We start off with the angel announcing to Mary and the birth in Bethlehem where the shepherds come and then the wise men and then he goes to the temple and then he is baptized at the River Jordan and the voice from heaven says, this is my son. And again, here we see this today. But you see wider and wider exposure of God's light and love to the world. Now, there were three very special people, though, who were chosen to go up on that mountain and see Jesus in all of his glory. And not only that, but to see the great leaders of their faith, Moses and Elijah, who for many centuries had been gone from the earth, and also to hear the voice of God yet again say, this is my son, listen to him. So, Peter, in a moment of uh, fright, suggests something. Now, put yourself in their place. If your friend and teacher, Jesus, said, let's go up on top of the mountain, and then all of a sudden, he's completely changed, he's dazzling white, there are great prophets on either side of him, and you hear the voice of God, I would be terrified too. And sometimes, you know, when, when you're scared or nervous, you say something that it just sort of comes out of your mouth and it doesn't really make a lot of sense after you think about it. But I think that's what happened to Peter. And he said, it's good to be here. Let us make three dwelling places, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And whether he knew it or not, what he was suggesting was enshrining that moment, building a sort of a temple to a single moment in time. And in this version of uh, scriptures, we don't, or we, you know, it cut, sort of cuts off, but uh, we don't hear what the response is. The response is that no, this is not a good idea. Instead, we, ca- we cannot enshrine this moment. Instead, we've got somewhere to go. And we got a little glimpse of that in the collect of the day this morning, who before the passion of his only begotten son, you heard that part, right? right? So what happens after this moment of transfiguration? What happens after this moment of revealing his glory to his disciples? They turn from the mountain and they go to Jerusalem. Jesus knows what is about to happen And so the transfiguration is not just a physical, a change in physical appearance, but it is sort of a shifting of gears, if you will, from the ministry of preaching and teaching 
and healing and casting out demons that Jesus has been engaged in to that long march to Calvary, to the cross, to his ultimate purpose on earth, to take on the sin of the world, to die for all people for all time, and to open the gate of heaven to all believers. And so that is the, the meaning of the transfiguration, even if we don't know exactly how it happened or exactly where it happened. You can go to a mountain in the Holy Land where, uh, where it's said to have happened, but of course we don't know exactly. And perhaps that is why the scriptures say he went up a mountain without naming it. Because like Peter, I think we would be tempted to enshrine the moment as opposed to the meaning. And so back to New Orleans. The city, as I said, transforms itself as if overnight. People change uh, and do things they wouldn't normally do, probably at home. Uh, I remember living in the French Quarter and sometimes reminding tourists that people do actually live here. And would you like me to do that where you live? No. Well... <laughs> anyway, but that's another beside the point as well. But for the, the people who actually live there, who aren't just there to, to party the night away, it really has a meaning because this, this sort of transformation into a, a glittery, bead-encrusted wonderland is something that is there not just for the fun of it, but it's there to remind us what is coming. It's there to remind us what we're supposed to do. It's just like... Uh, the transfiguration in scripture, this sort of reminder of transfiguration in our own lives tells us that this is only a moment. It all goes away. As they say down there, the glitter turns to ashes on Ash Wednesday, and we too begin our journey toward the cross. So let us with joy celebrate today the coming of the light of the world, Jesus Christ. Let us celebrate and look back on the scriptures and the, the festivities that we have had over these past weeks and months, commemorating the ever-growing, widening, brightening of his light in the world. Let us also remember that we must take up our cross and follow him. We must put our sins on the cross as well. But we must also be raised like him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.